Glad you're here. Hey, uh, what's up to you? I'm really glad to be here. Hopefully you guys have been trekking along as we've been walking through James. And uh, I'm going to give just a little bit of review because um, at least James chapter 1, James is kind of building on what he's already said and what we've already talked about. And for some of you, this may be your first night here. And uh, we just want to say, man, we're so glad you're here. We're pumped that you chose to come to the house tonight. And we hope you met some friends, got connected. And uh, we hope you get in a group. And uh, the way this works... Um, And I think Chris already said this tonight, but the way this works is that if you go to all the group things and come to all the house meetings, that you'll actually walk through the whole book this semester, which is really cool. But one of the things I love about why we're doing this and how we're doing this is uh, we're doing expositional teaching, just meaning that we're walking through every single verse. And uh, one of the things that's awesome about that is because churches uh, with honestly really good intentions can uh, have these different series in mind. Some of you probably go to a church. If you don't go to High Point, you go to a church that does series. And they mean well. We mean really well. We go, oh, let's talk about this. And then we can talk about family next. And we can talk about this next. And that's all great. And it's good content. Uh, But one of the things that having good intentions, if you just keep jumping around and planning things, there's some topics that you just don't hit because you get really excited about other ones. And uh, one of the things that we're going to talk about tonight, like tonight's message, isn't something that's so sexy that we like brand a series around it and stuff like that. So I'm glad that we're walking through this. And some of you are like, why are we talking about this tonight? Well, because in your groups, you ended with verse 12, and uh, we're going to pick up in verse 13, and this is what James talks about in verse 13. Uh, So that's why we're talking about it. But to give you kind of a catch up, we opened our first night of this semester talking about the gospel. And that James, this letter, we call it the book of James, uh, but it was a letter that James wrote to these Christians who were on the run. And uh, one of their brothers, his name was Stephen, the first martyr in the scriptures, the the first person who was actually killed for believing in Jesus. Uh, He was stoned to death in Jerusalem. The whole church got a front row seat at this, and it caused them to scatter because it was suddenly, oh wait, this is costing us our lives. And the church goes on the run, and James, as one of their leaders, Paul calls him one of the pillars of the church, um, who's the leader and shepherd and kind of overseer of this group of people in Jerusalem, um, would, in fact, write a letter to them to encourage them. And it's funny, as Randy picked up in verse 2, what we talked about was, is First Peter, when he writes, he says, don't be surprised when you face trials. James kind of one-ups him, and he says, hey, consider it joy when you face trials, And if you missed that talk, go back and listen to the podcast, but Randy unpacked why can we consider it joy that we're going through trials. And all of this is rooted in the fact that James is full of lots of commands. We're going to see some commands in our text tonight. It's full of do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And this is why we read verses or books like this because it seems really tangible. Uh, But the whole book is kind of couched in this idea that before James gives any command, He talks about how he's a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and that he experienced the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He saw his brother die and then three days later he met his brother face to face. And that all of these commands, all of these behavioral things that we're going to talk about and unpack and walk through aren't what get us into heaven, aren't what bring us salvation. They're fruit from it. They result from a changed heart, a heart that's seen the glory of God, that's met through the gospel of Jesus Christ that's changed our heart from the inside out. It's changed our heart first, which changes our hands. Does that make sense? So this is what he's rooting all of this in, and he talks about to this group of people that are on the run, he says, hey, consider it joy when you face trials. 
And you can imagine that these people who are relocating from their homes are trying to find jobs. Uh, We saw in our text last week that some of them had money, some of them didn't, but they're trying to relocate. They're on the run. They're afraid they're going to get arrested and killed. And they're on the run. He says, consider it joy when you face trials. And here's why we can consider it joy, because we know where the trials are coming from. Because we know that the God of the universe who loves us, he's not trying to destroy our faith. He's trying to test our faith. He says, consider it joy when you face these different trials in your life because they're going to test your faith. And when your faith is tested, it produces this thing in us called perseverance. And perseverance is working in us. It's perfecting us. James even uses the word perfecting. Don't read that and think that we'll be perfect one day. But here's what we can read from it is that it's perfecting us. That when you go through trials, when the Lord brings different circumstances in your life, that there's something so weird, and you can only attribute it to the grace and the wisdom of God, that you know this, when you've gone through a trial that was really hard, especially if you stood under it and you were faithful in it, you obeyed the Lord in it, there's something in us that looks back at it and says, man, I wouldn't wish that on anybody else, but there's a part of me that's so glad I went through that. Because I would not have what I have now and be able to think and act the way I can now if I hadn't gone through this trial. And this is what James is talking about. That these trials that the Lord brings us, they're not to destroy our faith, they're to test it, they're to grow it, they're to build it, they're to perfect us. And we'll never achieve perfection, but you can imagine what it looks like when there's a life that goes through trials over and over again for 50, 60, 70, 80 years and we remain faithful under the trial. Then we're gonna grow a lot. And he's writing to these people and he's encouraging them, hey, remain faithful under the trial. Consider it joy that you're going through this because it's doing something in you. It's working something in you. And then last week in your groups, you got to talk about one of the trials um, that all of us face. And it's the trial of money. And James uses this illustration where he's talking about the lowly brother and the rich brother. Because he's writing to these people and some of them on the run probably had more money than others. But money is a trial. It just is. Whether you have a lot, it's a trial, or you don't have a lot, it's a trial. And I think most of us in the room would probably be in the other camp where we don't have a lot of money. You know that's a trial, right? You gotta get by, you gotta pay the bills, you got stuff you gotta do. That's a trial in itself. But what's so enlightening about this text is that even having a lot of money is a trial. And what he tells the lowly brother who doesn't have money, he tells them to boast in their riches in Christ. And then he tells the rich brother, hey, here's what you get to boast in, the fact that none of your wealth or your status or your riches can ever get you in the kingdom. It's only by God's grace. To boast in your humiliation, that it doesn't matter how much you achieve on this earth, it cannot get you into heaven. And this is where we pick up tonight, and I want to read our text to you, and then I'll pray, and uh, we'll jump in. That was a long intro. All right, here we go. James 1, 12 through 18, it says this, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, we just ask that your word would speak to us. God, I'm thankful 
um, that this next few minutes is not dependent on me at all. God, I pray, in fact, that you would take these notes and this talk that I've created and you would turn it into something that I can't uh, by your living and powerful and active word. Um, God, there are so many people in here that are praying for this group, that are praying for myself. God, we want chains to be broken. We want students to, and adults to see the gospel. God, we can't bring any of that. Um, only you can. And uh, if you're comfortable, I did this last time, but if you're comfortable and want to take a few seconds and just ask the Lord to teach you in this time, nobody has to. Uh, but if you're willing, I would ask that you would pray and just ask the Lord to teach you. Jesus, we love you. We're grateful for your word. God, allow it to speak to us tonight. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen. Uh, one of the things that I got to do last week, which is really cool, and uh, well, it's kind of cool, I guess, uh, and I don't say this to brag at all because I didn't pay for it, I can't afford it, um, and it honestly probably uh, wasn't as cool as it sounds. Uh, I got to go on my first cruise last week, and what happened was my father uh, decided to plan this week where my brothers and I and my dad, just guys trip, we could get away and go on a cruise. What I didn't know about a cruise is that it is basically just a redneck boat party the whole time. Um, I saw so many jorts and beer bellies in one week. There's about 4,000 of them on this one ship. And uh, it was really cool. Uh, you know, they talk about all the food you can eat and all that stuff. And it wasn't you know, the food's pretty low quality, but there's so much of it that it finally tastes good after a while. And uh, we got to do all this fun stuff. It was a great time. The highlight for me was just getting away with my brothers and my dad and hanging out, enjoying time together. Uh, we're all kind of separate now and doing our own thing. And uh, it was one of those deals where it was just really cool to hang out. But what somebody did not tell me, and I didn't do any research, I honestly didn't even think about the cruise until like the night before we left. Uh, I packed probably 20 minutes before we left and those kind of things. But what I did not know is that this cruise, cruises have side effects to them. And uh, I am still, we got back on Friday, I'm still living in the side effects of the cruise. Where if I stand up too quickly, I will just start to kind of rock because for five days I was used to just swaying back and forth. And if we were walking somewhere, you would see all the people in the hallway do this and then you would see us do this. And uh, if I stand up too quickly, one of the things, they call it sea legs apparently, is you just start to get dizzy and rock and lose your balance. Um, and I don't tell you that just to brag about going on a cruise. I tell you that because it made me think of our text tonight because there are certain circumstances in life that come with side effects. There are circumstances in your life that bring side effects with them. And you go and you experience these circumstances and you're like, okay, this is what I was going for. This is what I was hoping to experience but I had no idea this was coming with it. And this is exactly what James is talking about tonight. He's talking about the side effects of some of our circumstances. And here's where we'll pick up in verse 12. He says this. He says, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So early in the letter, James is saying, consider it joy when you face trials because these trials are creating perseverance. And then James, he's talking about the beginning, now he kind of skips to the end and he says, hey, here's what happens when you persevere for a lifetime. Here's what happens, blessed is this man who perseveres for a lifetime. And he actually says he'll, re he'll receive the crown of life. But here's what I want you to see because some of you have probably, you're either in a trial or you've just gotten out of a trial and you're like, hey, I don't feel very blessed. And here's what I want you to see, there's a difference between being blessed 
and being happy. Those are two different things. There's a difference between being blessed and being happy, and here's what James is talking about. Um, He's not even really talking about an earthly blessing. He's talking about the crown of life um, that's consistent in the rest of the Bible. It's talking about, and I'll show you some verses in just a second, but there is an earthly blessing to this. And we talked about it a few minutes ago that as you go through trials in this life, as you trust that they're coming from God, that he loves you, that he never leaves you, he never forsakes you, that they're meant for your good, even though they're painful in the moment, even though they hurt, that if you remain faithful under them, that they're going to work something in you, that they're going to perfect you, that they're going to grow you, and we'll never be perfect, but they're adding to our lives, that they're creating something for us, that over time, that becomes a blessing. That you are blessed as you learn and pick up wisdom and discover more of God's grace and his heart for you as you're begging for him in the middle of your trial, as you turn to all else and you can't turn anywhere else and you turn to God in your trial. There's so much of his grace that you experience in the trial. And all of those, James would say, are blessings. But then he's actually talking about this crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And uh, this crown, Paul talks about this crown Um, John talks about this crown in Revelations. Here's Paul. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He said, everyone who competes in the games goes in strict training. They do it to gain a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Revelations 2, John says this, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. So he's talking about here, blessed is this person who perseveres under the trial because you will get a reward. You get some blessing in this life, and here's what the tension comes, because so many people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't talk about rewards. We should not be motivated by rewards in Christianity. And I get where your heart's coming from. And what James is talking about here, he's not talking about this bottom line kind of mentality, what's in it for me mentality. Okay, God, I'll follow you, but where's my reward? He's not talking about that. Because look at the reward. It's the crown of life. It's Christ himself. And there's some commentators that say this is a kind of reward that only true Christians would really want and appreciate. This is the reward that he's talking about. That as we go through life, if we stay faithful under the trial, that there's a reward and it's Christ himself, that we are experience salvation, that we get to be in the presence of Christ, that we get crowns in eternity for how we obeyed and how we walked and what we did with this salvation that God has given us here on this earth and the gospel message and the Great Commission. There's some crowns there, and this is, some, this is a motivation, but it's not a what's in it for me kind of motivation, because the reward is Christ himself, and he's saying, hey, you're going to receive the crown of life, and here's where we get into the side effects, right here, verse 13. He says this, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. So James has been talking about tests, he's been talking about trials, and then he throws in this word temptation out of nowhere. He brings up temptation, and here's what I want you to see, that every trial that we go through has a side effect, and the side effect is temptation, that painful circumstances lead to poor choices. That when you go through trials, that there's always a temptation to get out of it. There's always a temptation to find a shortcut in it. There's always a temptation to turn away from God and to try to fix something yourself. When you're in pain, and here's the thing that I've kind of learned recently, we don't know how to do pain. We don't. The stresses of life, the pain of life, all we try to do is avoid them and get rid of them as soon as possible. And you know this to be true. 
You know this to be true. Ryan Lochte. Some of you guys don't remember Ryan Lochte. He was a swimmer. 2016 Summer Olympics in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. What happens? Ryan Lochte is a part of the USA swimming team, dominating the rest of the world. Lots of pressure, wants to win, wants to uphold the reputation, gets so under pressure that him and his buddies decide to start drinking in Rio. And what happens? They drink, they go out, they end up at a gas station, and they end up vandalizing the gas station and urinating all over the outside of the gas station, and they get arrested. They get detained. They don't actually get arrested. They get detained by security, and here's another trial. So what happens? There's another temptation to lie about it. So what does he do? He comes up with the story that they weren't getting detained by security, that they were actually held at gunpoint. And this is probably when we heard the rest of the story, that USA swimmers were held at gunpoint and all this stuff. Turns out all of it wasn't true. None of it was true. That it was actually him in a stressful circumstance. He was afraid to lose. He was under a lot of pressure. Decide, he was tempted, decided to do something about it. Experienced another painful circumstance. And now he's getting detained. Here's another temptation. Hey, let me just cover this up and lie about it. And on and on and on we go. That painful circumstances lead to poor choices. You know this. Richard Nixon. We don't have to go all the way there. But 1972, I believe, presidential election. He had just finished his term, was going into the second term, afraid that he might lose the election. Here comes the temptation. He's under this trial of being afraid, lots of pressure, doesn't want to lose. What happens? Temptation comes in and he goes, okay, I'll send some boys into the Democratic National Committee and we'll uh, wiretap their phones in their offices. What happens? They get busted. Media, storm, trial. In comes temptation. I'll deny it. I'll start firing people that speak up and try to get me in trouble. The FBI gets involved. Here's another temptation. I'll send the CIA to get rid of the FBI's investigation. On and on and on it goes. Painful circumstance, poor choice. New England Patriots, 2015 AFC Championship game, playing against the Colts. Tom Brady has developed this incredible career, most decorated football player, especially quarterback in the history of the NFL. So much pressure on him. Here's the trial, and in comes the, the temptation. Here's the test, in comes the temptation. Hey, let me send some boys over here to deflate the footballs because they're easier to throw and catch if they have less air in it. Gets busted, right? And we laugh at these situations, but here's the deal. We're not any different. That if you're going through the stress of life, if, you're going, if your job is stressful, trial, here comes temptation. Hey, let me throw my coworker under the bus. Let me adjust some of these numbers. Some things that we would never consider, now when we're finally under the trial, they become, suddenly become options that are readily available to us. That if you're in a relationship and it ends, trial, test, from God, here's this trial that I'm experiencing, and in comes temptation, right? Let me turn to this bottle or to this substance or to this pornography or to all these other things to try to avoid the pain that I'm feeling in this moment. This will make me feel better. On and on and on it goes. Marriage, in a kind of a dead spot in your marriage, in a dry season of your marriage, what's the, here's the trial, here's the temptation. Let me go find some connection with someone else. Yeah, it's just hanging out and laughing a lot with somebody at work. Yeah, it's just Instagram or Facebook messaging somebody that I went to high school with. 
on and on and on and on it goes. Painful circumstances lead to poor choices. And here's what James is talking about. Here's what we need to see, that every circumstance, every test, every trial comes with this side effect of temptation. But here's what James wants you to see. Verse 13, when tempted, when these temptations come, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. And here's what I want you to see, that when we're tempted, God is not the author of that. God is not sending the temptation to you. We see this all throughout scripture. God frees his people from um, slavery in Egypt. Joshua leads them into the promised land, and what happens? God allows his people in Israel to still be surrounded by all these pagan nations. Here's the test. I'm going to see what you'll do with it. I'm going to allow your neighbors to surround you, and I'm going to see if you'll trust me and stay committed to me, or if you'll start to intermingle and interrelate with them and worship their gods and be around them. Here's the test. God doesn't tempt them. God will put the tree in the garden, but he won't tempt you to eat the fruit. Here's the test. The knowledge of good and evil is in the garden, but God doesn't come to Adam and Eve and saying, hey, I know I told you not to do this, but uh, you hungry? You want some fruit? It's not God that does that. And here's why that's so important, because temptation, sin, sin at its core is stepping outside the will and the glory of God. And God can't do that. God can't step out of, outside of his own will or his own glory. That sin at its core is Jeremiah 2, 13. Says, my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they've turned to themselves cisterns. They've dug cisterns, broken cisterns that can't hold water. Sin is forsaking the will and the glory of God and turning to something else to try to satisfy us. It's this broken, man made cistern instead of this fountain of living water that's ever flowing. We turn to this stag- stagnant cup bucket of water and we say hey I'm going to let this satisfy me John Piper says this when he's talking about temptation he says um, sin gets its power by persuading me to believe that I will be more happy if I follow it the power of all temptation is the prospect that it will make me happier and James what he's saying is hey there's a difference between testing and tempting there's a difference between testing and tempting God will bring tests in your life but he'll never tempt you He'll bring trials in your life, but he will never tempt you to sin. He won't do it. So where does this temptation come from? James tells us. He says this, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. And what James is talking about here is something that we all know, that there's something in us, there's this small voice in us um, that especially when we're stressed, especially when we feel like we're being suffocated or we're in the stresses of life, that cries out and says, hey, this thing that's not good for me seems really awesome right now, seems really desirable right now. There's this little voice in us, there's this sinful, broken, fallen nature that is bent towards turning away from God and trying to satisfy our own desires somewhere else. And James is saying, no, 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 it's not God that's tempting, it, tempting you. God will test you, but he won't tempt you. The temptation is coming from within you. It's these desires to not feel the pain anymore. It's these desires for glory, these desires for power, these desires for control, these desires for pleasure. Those are the things that are leading you away. And he even uses, some of the translations use the word lure. And a lot of commentators thought he was using a fishing analogy, 
Because when you fish, what do you use? You use a lure to lure someone away. And he's saying, hey, you're being lured away by your own evil desires. But it turns out he's not even using a fishing illustration. It's even better. He's using a sexual illustration. And this is what he says. Because look at verse 15. He says, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And what he's talking about here, and this is really important that I want you to see, that temptation itself is not sin. Charles Stanley actually says there's a lot of misinterpretations about temptation. Being tempted is not sin. That if you're going through a test and you experience temptation, so many times we equate that with sin. But temptation itself is not sin. Charles Stanley says temptation is not something that we fall into. James says we're led away by it, by our own evil desires. And then when it's conceived, when we put action behind a desire that is outside the will of God, that's when sin happens. When we pair these desires that we have for glory or for pleasure, for this lesser joy, when we pair our desire for that thing with action, what do we conceive? We conceive sin. And then he says this, that sin conceives something. He says sin produces something else. He's dragged away and enticed, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. That when we pair action with these different desires while we're going through this test, we take our eyes off God, we don't remain faithful in the test, we don't trust his promises. I've heard another commentary say sin at its core is just not trusting in the goodness and the promises of God. That at every sin you make, you can trace it back to, okay, what promise of God did I not trust or believe in that moment? But at its root, it's not trusting in the goodness or the promises of God. And we forsake those things, we turn to these lesser things, we put action behind these desires, and here comes sin. And sin is actually, James uses this language that a lot of commentators think he's talking about, um, kind of the seductress language in the book of Proverbs. If you've read the book of Proverbs, sin is typically coined as this adulterous woman. And the verb here for sin is even feminine. And don't read into that. He's not saying that all sin comes from women or anything like that. But he's talking about Proverbs. He's talking about that wisdom's calling out in the streets in the light of day, that there's wisdom, it's readily available, that God wants to give wisdom to his people, that in any moment we can turn to God, we can turn to his word. He's written a book for us, that we can find wisdom here. But then he says, then there's this seductress who at night is calling you in, who's saying, hey, come down this road. Hey, come by my house. And in the middle of her pain, something that does not look nearly as sexy in the light of day suddenly looks like an option in the middle of our trial or in the middle of the night. And when you go through these different tests, when the Lord brings these different tests in your life, suddenly here comes temptation. And James says, when we put our action behind these temptations, Behind these desires, they bring sin. And I love how Proverbs puts it. He talks about how this man was going by the seductress's house, that he was staying around, that he was having those conversations, that he was replying to those messages, that he was doing all these things, and he says it was like an ox led to the slaughter. That when we produce sin, it actually brings forth death. That it's death of the relationships, it's death of some of the the unity Amongst us, it's death of uh, our joy, all these different things. And we try to turn to these things and medicate our pain. Does it ever get rid of the pain? No. 
What it does is it multiplies it, right? It adds shame, it adds defeat, it adds all these different things to our pain, and when we've tried to medicate it through different substances, um, control, avoidance, pornography, whatever it is, when we've tried to medicate our pain, when we're finally done medicating with alcohol or whatever, what happens? It's still waiting for us when we're done. And here's something really interesting, is that when you try to medicate your pain, you can't selectively medicate the different feelings you want to medicate. You can't say, well, I'm stressed, so let me medicate the stress. When you try to medicate your pain with these different substances, what happens is you medicate the whole thing. Is you don't just eliminate the stress, you eliminate your joy, you eliminate your peace, you eliminate your rest. You start to decay on the inside. And you heap on shame. You see how this is a cycle that all it does is bring death. And it doesn't mean your relationships are instantly going to die. But you know when you, cause, when you pair action with those desires and we do things that are outside the will of God that don't bring glory to God that it brings a little bit of death to the people around us or to our own selves or to our own hearts to our own relationships to our own future that it brings forth death and the good thing about our text is I need to wrap up in just a second is that's not the end of the story and then he says this don't be deceived my dear brothers every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. And what he's talking about here is, hey, yes, these tests are coming. Here comes the temptation, but the temptation does not come from God. In fact, you need to remember, look down here at your, where your sin can take you. Look downstream. See what happens when you pair action with those desires. Look downstream, see what is gonna happen to your relationships, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to also look upstream and see that there's a God who loves you. And there's a God who has grace for you and mercy from you, and every good and perfect gift comes from him. And that when you're in the middle of these tests, and when you're tempted, remind yourself of the goodness of God. Remind yourself of the promises of God. Remind yourself that, hey, that good and perfect gifts come from God. That there can be a good and perfect gift in the middle of this trial. That is perseverance. That is perfecting me. That it's working in me. That it's completing something in me. That it's doing something in me. Look down here and see where your temptation can go if you finally decide to say yes to the temptation in the moment. But then also look up here and see that there's a God as Jeremiah 2 says, who's a fountain of living water, who wants to enrich your life and enrich your heart. And it doesn't mean with tangible blessings all the time. It means spiritually, emotionally. He wants to enrich your life with his word, with his presence. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. Don't take your eyes off him and say yes to this temptation and settle for a lesser pleasure because you know, James is telling us, here's where that goes. It brings death. And he uses this birth analogy and then he ends with this birth analogy of the gospel, which is really, really awesome. He says this, that sin gives birth, or that desire gives birth to sin, that sin gives birth to death. But then he says this in verse 18, and I'll end with this. He says, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. That yes, desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. Yes, sin gives birth to death, but there's a heavenly father who gives good and perfect, he's good and perfect, he gives good and perfect gifts, that he loves us, that he has grace for us, that he has mercy for us, that he has forgiveness for us, that even though he knew that we would choose lesser pleasures all throughout history, he knew we would forsake him, that because of his great love for us and his mercy for us, he has given us a birth, and it's the new birth 
of salvation in Christ through Jesus and his life and death and resurrection from the cross. That our God knows that we are a people who settle for so many fleeting pleasures. But James reminds us, hey, don't choose that because you have a God who's so good. He gives good and perfect gifts. And the most good and most perfect gift that he's given us is salvation through his son. And if you don't know this Jesus through which we have salvation, man, I want to give you an invitation tonight to put your faith and your hope and trust in him. Because some of you can hear a message like this and go, man, Parker, I've chosen that temptation. I put action behind those desires so many times, and they brought death to my relationships. They brought death to my dreams. They brought some death to my future. They've ended some things for me. And here's the deal. Jesus knows that. And he still loves you. The invitation still stands. The gospel is still here, that he has provided a new birth for you through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came down from earth and he was the better one of each and every one of us, that he was tempted in every way. He faced every single temptation. He was tested. He experienced the trial. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was tempted for 40 days in the wilderness, that he experienced every sort of test and trial and temptation, and he was without sin. Why? For you. To be the perfect atoning sacrifice to do what you never could, to do what I never could, to live the life and die the death that none of us could ever could because of his grace and his mercy for us. And James is saying, hey, hey, as you're going through these trials, church, house, as we're going through these trials, there's gonna be some desires that creep in. They've got some side effects. These tests have side effects. Don't go that road. Don't go down there. Don't entertain those things. And here's what I want us to do tonight. You've got to think about you. Where do you go when you're stressed? What do you turn to? It's different from all of, for all of us. Who do you turn to when you're in pain? What's that thing that you turn to? That vice that you keep going to thinking that it's going to make the pain go away. Thinking that it's going to make this test or this trial better than it really is. What's that thing that you keep turning to? And remind yourself that whatever joy or whatever happiness you're looking for in that thing you already have in Jesus Christ, that that thing's not gonna satisfy you. It's gonna promise happiness, it's gonna promise pleasure in the moment, but it's gonna bring death to the relationships and the people and the future around you. Jesus Christ is calling all of us to not forsake him and turn to these broken cisterns, but to stay and remain and abide in the fountain of living water. How do you overcome your temptations? You abide in him. You can't do it apart from him. The Puritans used to say this, how do you um, replace an affection with a more beautiful affection? How do you replace this vice, this thing that you keep turning to with something so much better, something that can satisfy your soul so much more? the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that will give you the power to overcome those temptations. And James is saying, hey, look down here, but also don't take your eyes off of him. Because he's a good father who gives good gifts. The greatest gift of his son who lived and died for us and do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And when we follow him, we see the joy that's in him, these things look a lot less sexy. We say, no, I'm going to follow him. He's going to satisfy me. He's going to be my joy. We'll pick up there next time. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we love you.
God, we're grateful for your love and your grace. God, we're thankful for your word um, that thousands of years ago, James could write something like this and that because it's your words, he was inspired by your spirit that they're still applicable today. So God, I pray for every person in here um, that are facing tests and trials right now. God, that they would remind themselves of the gospel, that whatever they are turning to, God can never satisfy their soul. That only you can. God, we're grateful. Help us to worship you as a people who have been captured by your love. We're so grateful for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. Father, we love you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.